The Film Comment Podcast from Sundance is sponsored by Autograph Collection Hotels. The Autograph Collection Indie Film Project supports independent film and celebrates the power of storytelling to inspire and connect people and places by leaving a lasting imprint. Autograph Collection Hotels, exactly like nothing else. Hello and welcome to the Film Comment Podcast, uh, recording live at the Hotel Park City, an autograph collection hotel where we have a nice cozy place to opine for half an hour every night about all the movies we've seen and today is no different. We have seen more movies and we're going to talk about them. And since you're listening to this, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> what an intro. I just, I, 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 I just, I just wanted to Make sure that this podcast is very clear about what's going on. <laughs> I know it's a, it's a complex idea. <laughs> uh, so today is a, the Saturday, you know, not yet the hump day, I suppose. The weekend, just a busy weekend. Day three of screenings. I'm Nick Rapold, Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment, and I'm joined by the lovely and talented... Uh, Eric Hines, Curator of Film at Museum of the Moving Image and Film Comment columnist. That was always the, the Letterman intro for... For every single person who came on the show, <laughs> lovely and talented, Kmar the discount magician. Um, okay, well today today was a sort of grab bag for me personally. I guess I mean I I caught up with Eighth Grade, which a lot of people were pleased with, but some were frustrated with when they saw it yesterday. Eighth Grade is a debut feature, uh, and it's it's a it's it's you know, truth in advertising. It's about uh, a, a girl in eighth grade, and she's coping with all the awkwardness uh, that one has at that age. That for some lasts for decades, but that's for another conversation. And I was just going to say because you you said that you were just catching up to eighth grade, and I thought you were that was a personal. Oh yeah, I statement. am just catching up to eighth grade. Eighth grade is about a uh, a girl in eighth grade who is. Quiet, although she'd hate if you said that. Um, smart has a uh, you know curious kind of combination of high anxiety and actual self possession about her about what goes on in the world. But there's just this constant like white noise of her of her nervousness and her social anxiety. Um, and this is also just you know in the age of Instagram, uh, Instagram, and so she's constantly on her phone and worrying about what other people think of her. Um, you know, just you know, if if the problem with cell phones is that work follows you home, I guess it's a similar problem with you know the kind of social anxieties of high school and junior high. All of that follows you everywhere around at all times if 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 your friends are on Instagram. Um, is it is it is it aggressively contemporary in its, its portrait of eighth grade? It's I mean in that sense it is aggressively contemporary. There are a lot of scenes where she's just scrolling through stuff, scrolling through you know people's accounts, and you know it's and and it's punctuated by these you know first person monologues that she does for uh, I guess for on YouTube, yeah, on YouTube, and each of them is. She's, she's explaining something, you know, and she's explaining what it means to be an outsider or something in one of them, or uh, the, the recurring theme is you have to be yourself, otherwise what's the point? Which it's interesting across the, across the film, you know, initially sounds trite, but then eventually there's a certain wisdom to it. And that's something I just liked about, about her as, as a character is that as, as, as much as she seemed at sea, 
um, there is also some wisdom that then she ends up growing into a little. And it's very faithful to, you know, every everything she says is larded with likes and, and that sort of thing. Um, and but but that doesn't mean she's it's not expressive and she can't isn't eloquent in, in, in what she says. It's just that's the argot. And uh, it's, yeah, just a sort of a few days in the life. I mean, those are the things I liked about it. Uh, I mean, on the flip side, you know, if you've seen a lot of 80s teen comedies or something, um, you know, ha- have you maybe already seen a lot of the themes that are going through in this movie? Probably. But um, any questions? <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, I mean, I, we, 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 this is, I should say, this is a day where we compared notes before coming on air, and I don't, we don't have a whole lot of overlap, so we're kind of That's asking true. each other about the films that we saw, which I think is nice, but, like, I don't have much to add to your eighth grade, other than to sort of, uh, just have, uh, hearing your description, and you you've referenced 80s comedies, it made me curious about, is there anything, like, Welcome to the Dollhouse, like, about it? Is it less arch than that? I'm just, just yeah. trying to sort of understand with knowing nothing about the film really. Yeah, pe- really. people compared it to that uh, as, and it's, it's not as, you know, it doesn't have that same kind of acerbic quality or, or like sarcastic quality. I mean, she's definitely awkward and she, she definitely has a crush on this perfect kid, you know, who I think gets voted best eyes if I heard correctly when they're doing like a, you know, various best of awards that I wrote about the class. And then she's snubbed by the popular girl who has like a sidekick who's, you know, reinforces her in her snippiness. But they don't, they don't feel, I mean, she herself doesn't feel like an, like an empty, like nerd archetype or something. I, I just really like this young actress. She just has, has a very, very comfortable and, you know, seeming plane, but is, you know, but just seems all the more real, more so than if she was she was like putting everything she did in like some sort of quotes or something, you know. Um, so it's it's a neat performance, and they're like it's a lot of good little comic bits in it too, you know. Once when she's caught with a banana for reasons that you can probably extrapolate, she just like gets so scared. She constantly gets startled by her dad, who's like played by Josh Hamilton, which is kind of funny. It made me think of kicking and screaming. But anyway, um, and she just like throws the banana at him and it hits his chest with this thump. And it's just a nicely executed like little bit of comedy that works because of the choice of the particular sound and then just her just getting startled. Um, but, um, so eighth grade, good foley. Eighth grade. Good foley work. Good foley is crucial to any depiction of eighth grade. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, but, so what else did you see then? Uh, well, at eighth grade, after that, I took a little rest, I suppose. I, I saw uh, the next movie I completed uh, would be Lizzie. Uh, Lizzie was another one of the Friday night movies. This is Saturday. Um, and that was another one that kind of was made yesterday night, like a big night. Like There was no way you could see everything. We talked about the Gus Van Sant film, um, but Lizzie was also going on at the same time. And this is the movie about Lizzie Borden, starring uh, Chloe Sevigny as Ms. Borden um, and co-starring Kristen Stewart mm. as a Irish servant whose name is Bridget, but everyone calls her Maggie because okay. apparently that's what you do with Irish you know, serving girls is you call them all by the same names. Mm. Like if they were German, you'd call them all Fritz, I guess, or something like that. Um, and... Uh, the screenplay was a problem with this movie, I think, but but the two actresses are just you know compul- compulsively watchable. Um, each in their own way, they are each generally. in a different yeah. different way, um, and 
it's you know they it's it's a strange movie because sometimes it's it's basically a retelling of a, a lead up to, of the build up to the the you know board and the murders and you know attributing it to this this patriarch who's you know having his way with with the servant and is just denigrating everyone else and being a classic patriarch and i guess it's a it feels it feels very much like a period film kind of made on a budget um, and I know how hard it is to make a period film yeah. on a budget. Uh, you know, something like, uh, well, I don't know, Lady Macbeth probably had a fair amount to work with, but that you never felt it really, I don't mm. think. It, the spareness in that movie felt of a piece with the spareness of the house that she was cooped up in. Right. Here, I don't, I don't know what it was, and maybe I shouldn't even mention it, but maybe, maybe it was even just the way it was, it was lit. It did something about it, it, it kind of... Uh, there was there was a lightness and an airiness to it that felt more transparent, and and sapped the mm. historical life. I don't know how to add a, if this makes sense at all, but there was just something about it that mm. didn't quite work. Also, someone uses the word axis as a verb, and I thought that felt out of place. Okay, I was I'm curious about this in terms of the look and how it relates to the period quality. It's something I've been thinking about recently, and whether. Because I feel like that there's, especially in Hollywood, which is often how it, you know, somebody does it once 10 years ago and then it becomes so standard that in, now in order to do period, we have to kind of really change the, the tinting. We have to have a real, like, you know, used to be it was sepia tone, but some kind of doctoring of the image um, in color correct or, or at, at some stage to convey a certain moment. And it winds up being kind of what we stereotypically unconsciously relate to a certain period of time. Right. And, the, and, the, and the image gets doctored in that way. And it's not even like an accurate necessary like matching of photographic qualities from that time. Yeah. It becomes this now received notion of how that's supposed to look. And because I'm now impatient with that, I'm actually curious about, and I'm, I'm wondering about Lizzie, like I'm yeah. curious about when it's very much not that. And it's like, does not look like that period at all as we relate to it or as we assume it. And so therefore, is that a choice? And is it an interesting choice? Right. Yeah. No, it's a good, that's a really good point. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. And part of me also wonders if it's just something about the projection. It just felt like hot in some uh -huh. way, just uh -huh. the, 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 the transparency of it. I don't know. Um, I, I don't think it came through in the performances at all. I mean, all, all the actors made you feel that they were definitely, you know, girdled up and, uh, and, and, you know, yeah. Kirsten Stewart, an expert at downcast glances, uh, Chloe Savigny also, she delivers these, you know, biting one-liners that, that are like these little arrows at the heart of, of this, you know, her, her father, I don't know, there's, there's one great, there are a number of great exchanges and you just vividly feel how those are the weapons she has at hand, you know, and she, she doesn't control the money. She doesn't, she's an, on her way to being an old maid. And so in everyone's eyes is useless. And I think she's at her best in those very controlled moments. Yeah. And it builds to something, but it is strange that for, I don't know, for part of the movie and according to the soundtrack, uh, according to the score, this is partly a horror movie <laughs> or a thriller. There are a lot of moments that are, are, I don't know, were kind of ruined for me by just this heavy-handed underlining of, uh -huh. of something you should be anticipating. Uh -huh. um, and it you know, probably would have been better without that. Um, but, you know, it's a nice project. I'm glad they both took it on. Yeah. 
That's Lizzie. The Autograph Collection Indie Film Project celebrates the synergy between independent film and Autograph Collection hotels. This dynamic cultural program is anchored by three key programs, Screenwriters in Residency, free indie films streamed at hotels throughout the U.S., and a portfolio of beautiful hotels in key film festival destinations. Learn more by visiting autographhotels.com. Autograph Hotels, exactly like nothing else. Well, I mean, I'm curious about both those actors. So I feel like that's yeah, yeah. Regardless, I'm going to be attracted to it. Kind of, yeah, it kind of tunes in and tunes out in terms of its effective intensity. I think I don't know. Uh, We the Animals was a film that I think I want to just catch up with quickly. It is about um, three brothers who live with their parents in upstate New York. I think it is, Um, and and the parents are kind of a kind of a mixed couple, I guess. The dad is Puerto Rican and um, the mom is white. And uh, the kids are kind of being raised as to be proud of the Puerto Rican heritage. And the problem is that the, 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 the dad is a, is a bit hot-tempered and they, they seem to have arguments, the couple. And so the kids are kind of growing up under that and the threat just of uh, economic hardship uh, the dad has a job, but, you know, it's, it's not clear if it's totally steady. So we, we're, it's supposed to be about the three kids, I guess, but they really zero in on one kid uh, who is kind of a, uh, more of a sensitive um, child and just we're often kind of filtered through his eyes and, and what, what's happening. Um, and he's also a, you know, budding artist. Um, I find in a lot of these movies we're identifying with a, 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 you know, a child often who's, who's some sort of variety of artist. In eighth grade, actually, the main character, she's, she's, she's a storyteller and she, in her videos and she's t- often talking about stuff. She'll have a, give a video about self-confidence and she doesn't have that yet, but then she eventually grows into it. It's just nice that, and that seems like a classic thing that a writer is doing. They're writing about something that they're not actually doing. Yeah. So it's the same here. He's an artist. He's drawing things and he's drawing a lot of crazy stuff actually. But um, I don't know, this movie, I, I, it really wants you to exult in like the energy of these children. Like the first five, 10 minutes felt a little by the book in terms of really punching the music cue and kids running through a forest and this kind of sub Malikian you know, sub Terrence Malick voiceover that gives the movie its title, but doesn't really return so much. And just from that opening, I got kind of, I was just kind of suspicious uh, a bit. Um, I think it, it goes in more interesting directions later, but I just often feel with, with films at Sundance, especially that, you know, you'll have child protagonists and you're like, you know, exulting in in their youth and their freedom and they're roaming around. Um, You know, you know, when the Florida project showed at Cannes, I thought it was a Sundance movie at Cannes because like it opens with this big, you know, you know, pop music cue, celebrate kids running around, ends with kids running, you know, to, to some ineffable goal. And I just feel like that's something that happens a lot. And it, it, it all, comes to feel a little vampiric <laughs> to me, part of a general vampiric tendency here where everyone's, I mean, this is, I'm just kind of pontificating a little here or whatever, but uh, it kind of feels like, uh, you know, you have hordes of people who are gathering to see movies, especially by first time filmmakers. And we're all 
feeding off the energy of that. And sometimes maybe the movies aren't always that great, but we love when the filmmakers get up there and, and are so pleased to be there and, and, and they feel good. We feel good for making them feel good. We feel good about ourselves. This is whole, you know, feedback loop, maybe a little congratulatory, especially if it's about political causes. And yeah, it just, it feels there's an energy source here that we're all feeding on. And I don't always know if it's in the service of like great film art. Um, I'm not saying the movies are bad. I'm just saying that it's, it's, it's a kind of dynamic that can muddle things here. And yet, I guess is kind of center central to a lot of the identity of the festival here. I say this again as like a person who's been here well, only only two years, and yeah, that, but that's but still what strikes it's me. A, it's a, it's a really interesting observation or, or, or pontification. But I'm I'm curious, right? I'm, I want to challenge you just to sort of like I'm curious what you would say why it's more Sundance oriented or Sundance defined than any other festival that shows that would show new films or film yeah. by first time filmmakers, or is it, I mean, there, there certainly are a fair amount, like the, there's yeah. a tradition of first time filmmakers being programmed here. So maybe that, maybe I'm answering my own question. But yeah. I'm I curious. think that's part of it. I mean, here they kind of act like they invented first time filmmakers, <laughs> you know, to hear them talk about it. And also just the cult of the, of indie and independence. And it just feels like, you know, it, it's definitely a brand. Um, and, right. and I don't know, it's just something Something to think about. Something to chew over <laughs> next time we're, we're giving a standing O to, to something that, you know, might be perfectly deserving. And I don't want to be suspicious of that because obviously I deeply value all, all these theatrical experiences and people getting enthusiastic about movies right. I love. Right. Just, you know, there's just something to think about about how that dynamic particularly plays out. And then also it gets very weird against the backdrop of an enormous festival like, you know, with lots of, you know, you know, it's it's an industry standard. Like it's become, you know, it's it become the establishment. And right. It, you know. Right. But anyway, well, I can I can transition from that into one of the films that I can talk about today, which is a first time film, hmm. um, but in a diff, maybe in a somewhat different than somewhat different than what you're uh, talking about here. Which film is that? This is Wildlife. Uh, by the first-time filmmaker Paul Dano, who, of course, is not a newcomer. Uh, he talked about how, uh, during his introduction, how he came to Sundance in 2001 um, for his first film, L.I.E., and that was kind of his first his first film, period, and how basically the journey of showing up at a festival and meeting other people who are also young and making movies and acting and thinking about, you know, working through their ideas of, of how to approach cinema as basically it was a 16 year journey to, to making his first film, you know, and we said before we got on the air here, like the sort of the suspicion of actors termed filmmakers and how, uh, there's, yeah, I mean, there's, 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 there's not a great lineage of great films by actors unless they've quickly established themselves into auteurs of their own right. And there are some along those lines. Um, and I, th I guess maybe there is a, t there's a little bit of skepticism, um, going into it for me along those lines about, is this really a, is this really going to be a strong film or is it just, we're excited that Paul Dano wrote, wrote and directed a film. And I have to say, I, I was very impressed and I was, I was not so much impressed that an actor who I have been impressed by made an adequate film. 
I was just taken by the film and I was taken by the filmmaking and I think it's actually quite strong. What's what's I forget what the story on that. So one it's is. based on a Richard Ford novel by the same title. Um, and uh, it is 1960s Montana, uh, a family, a, 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 a father, uh, a, a, a mother and a son, uh, a 15 year old son, uh, only child. Uh, and they've uh, allude to the effect that they've traveled quite a bit. Um, roughly in that region, kind of the northwest uh, or, or, or central U.S. Um, and uh, we sort of, uh, the, the father, paid by Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, is working in a golf course when the film starts, and mother is working from home, but you can tell that the, there's a restlessness in the father and that the traveling that predates the narrative um, comes from, you know, not having... A, a firm career and a firm path and a just kind of restless knocking about that of course then brings a, a wife and son along with, and you know, the son is a bit enamored of the father, but the, the film basically is coming from the point of view of the son, almost, almost quite successfully done so that not exclusively, although actually you'd have to see it again. It's quite possible that almost everything in the film is really from his point of view. Um, the young actor, um, whose name I'm going to remind myself of right here, um, uh, who I've not seen before, an Australian actor named uh, Ed Oxenbold, um, mentioned after the screening how he, he, he posited that he was in every single scene, and I think he might be. Um, but if that's the case, it's another thing to be impressed by because it doesn't flaunt the idea that it's his point of view or his, that every shot basically comes from him. But anyway, he's been enamored of, of his father, but his father's you know, kind of a bit of a fuck-up, but it's interesting to see that kind of character you know, like situated in the 1960s rather than, you know, we've seen a lot of characters of men who are kind of, you know, right. spinning their wheels and making their, making women accommodate their own uh, belated growing up. And, and here instead is a very convincing man of the 1960s. He doesn't play like a man-child at all. And yet here he is, who's he's kind of enervating to his spouse, um, but not so enervating that he's not, worthy of the adoration of his son. It's a really interesting character, um, but then he winds up needing to find new work and leaves the house for a period of time, and Jake Gyllenhaal is gone for the entire center of the film. Um, it, at least half of the film he's gone, and it winds up being a two-character study, basically, um, of, 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 of this young man and Carrie Mulligan, who plays his mother. And I've had a kind of love-hate relationship with Carrie Mulligan over the years, and she won me over last year with Mudbound, and it's sort of my favorite performance of hers. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm on board, but like I, I, I thought this is really, really, this is a really good performance. Again, mm -hmm. something about her like aging out of the gaman, her aging right. out of the sort of yeah, that that kind of very young face and uh, whole wholesomeness thing that we're supposed right. to. That, that that she's being cast for, I think, uh, it's not the case anymore. And there's something else that's developing yeah. that I, again, I, I'm impressed. I was impressed by her again. I don't want to give too much way, way for, uh, beyond that in terms of plot, but I was impressed by the performances. I was impressed. I, I guess the thing I was most impressed by is that there's a real cleanness to the film. There's a cleanness to the script. There's a cleanness to the way that it's shot and constructed such that it's not particularly showy. 
It's not trying too hard. It's not trying to show to prove itself, which is actually not to give it credit for something that it shouldn't have to get credit for. But if you're looking at maybe the history of first time actor turned director films, like sometimes there's a tendency to try a little too hard. I don't think this one does at all. I mean, it's um, photographic. I think it's pretty clear that there's photographs from that era that are influencing a lot of the shot decisions, but again, not in a self-congratulatory way. Yeah, I, 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 I've not had a chance to talk to anybody about it. I, I walked out of that film and the people I came with were gone and <laughs> I haven't had a chance to hear what they're saying about it, but uh, I, I, was, I was quite impressed by it. And you know, even the ways that you could say, okay, Paul Dano's involved, Zoe Kazan is a co-writer, there's a couple stars in the film, the way that it plays out is not trying to um, curry favor. You, you know, using that, using those assets. It's not using those assets to uh, basically say, okay, this is the sensation of 2018 because mm-hmm. it's got these people and it's 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 announcing it's announcing itself to the world as um, Paul Dano's transition into being an auteur. Instead, it just feels like it's calibrated just right. It's it's tonally right. It's the volume level is right. Mm-hmm. The, 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 um, yeah, the way that it, it, it unfolds feels, um, all about character and all about the point of view of this young man and, uh, the way that, uh, you see your parents become people, um, can be traumatic yeah. and, but not so traumatic that, it's now your world is ending, but more like, okay, now it's time to adjust to this. And I have to think about where I am in relation to that and, and how, you know, whether the transition of mourning the vision of your parents that you had as a young person, while also maybe kind of eagerly anticipating a new, you know, a a transition into adulthood. Anyway, it's, 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 it's impressive. Yeah. I mean, it's it's almost just I you know I haven't seen it yet, but that that also just looking at his body of work as an actor, it's kind of an interesting subject to take because I I still feel he's almost growing out of you know being often this you know, a manchild is the wrong word because people associate it with like Will Ferrell or something, right, right, but right. but but yeah, just just this reedy adolescent you know jittery well, and he's got that's his build right that's, that's his, his build yeah, yeah he's yeah. he's youthful he's youthful yeah but but again how nice that you know there, there's it, that that there is a, that the first film is that as that there, that there's an element of that in this film yeah no i mean how to your to your point how great that um somebody who has that carriage or that maybe um uh, persona, willingly or not, then decides to make a first film that 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 takes that on as well. Whether or not that's personal, uh, I wouldn't necessarily assume that it is, but to take on that kind of transition point um, is kind of evocative. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and your description is very evocative. I think <laughs> you gave a pretty fully formed, you know, um, critique of of the film. I, I mean, I like this format because it allows me to work out some thoughts that aren't, you know, my final verdict or something right. on, on these films, which I would definitely say, you know, probably for, for Lizzie, there's more to be said about that than right. nattering on about, you know, how period is period <laughs> or something. 
Um, but uh, that brings us in for a soft landing um, into the snow that's been piling up here, as it, as it always tends to do. It really has been piling up, though, and I it gotta has. say. It's been quite yeah. a storm. Yeah. We can, we can, we're going to have to devote the whole next episode <laughs> to the nature of the precipitation. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll be back uh, tomorrow for another batch of films. And uh, there's probably stuff that we didn't that we both saw today that we could get to or men- start mentioning tomorrow. That's there's true. kind of a snowball effect here where yes. there's only so much you can get to in half an hour. And right. the deeper we get, the more we the, our, our bench will be deeper now. We can actually start bringing, That's right. calling in reserves. Yes, we can do that. <laughs> we will do that. So this this is only the tip of the iceberg that is slowly forming outside. <laughs> Uh, So thank you, as always, for listening and uh, signing off from the Hotel Park City, uh, the Film Comet Podcast. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, everybody. Bye. The Film Comet Podcast from Sundance is sponsored by Autograph Collection Hotels. The Autograph Collection Indie Film Project supports independent film and celebrates the power of storytelling to inspire and connect people and places by leaving a lasting imprint. Autograph Collection Hotels, exactly like nothing else, 